We uh, took a uh, break just a little bit, took a look at hymnity last. I want to say happy holidays to everybody. This is my last Sunday. Uh, Your plans have not changed because of... No, we're fine. Okay. We lost electricity, but we got it back. Okay, that's good. Glad to hear that. We'll miss you, Violet. Yes, we will. Yes, yeah, stay safe, Violet. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Okay, so we had, uh, last time we took a look, just uh, one Sunday, we took a look at hymnody. Um, uh, also, uh, before that, we took a look... Uh, at a, a, a doctrine. I want to get back to kind of pushing forward with uh, some of the history. It's going to also involve taking a look at the doctrine of election. We're not going to get to it today. If, if my plan works, we'll see. Um, but uh, uh, I want to push forward. In the past, we took a look at uh, the situation in Europe. We saw them come on over individually and uh, settle on the East Coast. Uh, then kind of the next part of the history was the immigration, where there were, uh, whether it was Germans or Norwegians or, or, or those, but they came over in groups. They settled in the Midwest, New York, on up to Wisconsin, Perry County, Missouri, those kind of things. Uh, then uh, they were trying to get together a bit, and there were uh, some wrangling back and forth. We took a look at the office of the ministry, the priesthood of all believers, especially as Missouri um, dealt with the, uh, with Stephen. Then they had to figure out, are we church, and, and do we have the ministry with us, you know, those kind of things. And so um, we took a look at that. Uh, things have continued to kind of uh, live in this country for a bit, and the next period, um, I'm going to uh, start 1850s or, or something like, like that, um, we're going to push forward 1917-1918 is kind of the next big change for Lutheranism. What's going on between this 1850s or so and 1917? Unity and realignment. Um, not just among the immigration, but all of you know, North America, uh, both on the East Coast and the Midwest, uh, they're start, they've been here for a while. They're starting to talk to each other. Um, we, we will see, so for example, 1856 to 1859, there were uh, a, a series of three conferences. Uh, what is this about? Well, you had uh, Missouri... And some of those on the in the Midwest, their idea of trying to reach out to other Lutherans to bring them together and this this uh, uh, into either fellowship or one church, the idea was to have a free conference. Uh, what is a free conference? Well, um, where you know Lutherans always have taught concerning church fellowship that we have to be united in doctrine and practice. Well, so how do you 
uh, uh, have, how do you try to get people together? Well, this idea for Missouri was, we're going to invite other representatives, leaders from other conferences, from other senates, from other churches. We're going to invite them to come. However, it's not going to be official. It's going to be unofficial. Everyone who comes is is not acting as a representative of their church body. They are free. So we can all come. We can all sit down. There's no implication that we are united or together. We're simply coming of individuals to find out, what do you believe? What do I believe? Let's talk. Um, And so this is not a united, but a very... This is the way Missouri wanted to go forward. The only thing that they asked is that there might be an unconditional subscription to the Augsburg Confession. Now, that's the first document in the Book of Concord. Um, it, it, it is, I would say, the basis for everything else that goes with it. So, in that sense, it's very good. But it also lets you know that, at this particular time, Missouri subscribed to the entire Book of Concord. Many of the Lutherans, as we talked about on the East Coast, never subscribed to anything. And then some of them started to, and they started getting more and more conservative as, as uh, um, they began to talk with each other, they began to study books as uh, another uh, anniversary of the Augsburg Confession or the Book of Concord comes about, someone publishes a paper, and everyone goes, hey, what is this thing? So um, that they at least had this there kind of lets you know that, you know, we're... we're we're willing to bring you along if, if you're not there yet. But none of the official uh, participants were unofficial. That's from Missouri. The other, and I'm going to quote, conservative, now we're not quite as much of that, but conservative nonetheless had moved along. The Ohio Senate is uh, a big mover and shaker. Okay? Um, they wanted to have conferences. That is, official representatives coming together, sitting down, and, and, and working things through. It's a little bit of a different approach. Um, this one was, let's talk unofficially until we can be united in doctrine and practice, and then we'll move forward. Ohio said, well, let's sit down, and if we all can... And, and their kind of goal was, if we can get your organization, your Senate, to subscribe to the Book of Concord, or at least the Augsburg Confession or something like that, we'll get together. And then we have a standard that we can keep calling each other back to. So it wasn't necessarily doctrine and practice. It was, well, officially we'll, we'll, have a doc, we'll, we'll all agree to this. Maybe the practices aren't there yet, but that's okay. As long as we have it, we can move forward. Um, But those were the two ways uh, that things went forward. Um, Quickly speaking, Augustana Senate, um, I'd like to spend a little more time studying this. I I didn't get to do a lot, but it it gives you an example. Um, The Augustana Senate was technically known as the Scandinavian Evangelical Lutheran Augustana Senate of North America. Um, uh, it was an immigrant group. It was a nationality. 
Um, they were quite conservative when they were over here in 1840. Before, kind of before this, they joined together with uh, a, a group called the Senate of North Northern Illinois, uh, which was uh, formed in 1851. Um, and so they were uh, together with them. When the definite synodical platform of 1855 came forward. You might remember, this is Samuel Schmucker who said, yeah, the Augsburg Confession is okay, but there's about five errors in it, you know, and, and he pretty well gutted Lord's Supper baptism, made Sunday required. And Anyway, um, when they saw what was going on with that, and Northern Illinois was, was actually uh, um, talking with them, they ended up leaving again um, for the uh, Scandinavian Augustana Senate in 1860. Um, we're going to see that the Norwegians um, uh, end up sometimes splitting apart, sometimes going with this group, going with that group. Um, it, it's Anyway, we're, we're, we're going to see that you're going to have kind of conservatives, you're going to have liberals, and, and then you're going to see the Norwegians kind of getting jerked back and forth uh, over over time. Um, that just kind of gives us an example. Nevertheless, and, and this was the more conservative, the Norwegians, Augustana is another word for the Augsburg Confession and the apology that goes with it. And they would call it. So, if you're going to put in the name of your Senate, Augustan or Augsburg Confession Senate, it's letting you know right away, we're not going with those that, that would reject it. Okay, um, quickly put, uh, we've talked about this several times. We've talked about it in regards to a doctrine called objective justification, uh, in, which we've formally have rejected. Missouri still holds to that. Uh, how did it come about? It came about from the Norwegian group. Um, there were a couple faculty members uh, at Augsburg Theological Seminary. Um, uh, they were part of what the, uh, one of the Swedish, or Norwegian ones called the Lutheran Free Church, um, in which these professors said, we can't have pastors going around and absolving people. I forgive you your sins. And we say, well, why not? Well, they don't know if you're forgiven or not. They can't see into your heart. Uh, and so they said, we got to stop this absolution thing. That's, that's, that's not right. Um, where did that come from? Who wants to tell me? Satan. <laughs> pietism pietism okay um, you know, pietism is always looking in the heart um, the response should have been <laughs> no our Lord and Savior taught us to pronounce this um, uh, it is not about looking into the heart it's about a the confession that has been made and its announcement of the forgiveness of sin. So, um, no, you, you didn't need this. However, what happened? Uh, one of the uh, founders of St. Olaf College, a big wig in the president of the Norwegian Senate, H.A. Uh, Hanse Preuss, 
um, uh, came up with objective justification and said, that's okay, we're all forgiven already at the cross, and so when a pastor says that, it can be true no matter who he's talking to. Well, that's false, but that's, that's what he came up with. That was his uh, uh, fallacious uh, teaching in order to kind of counter that. Um, if you, uh, Walther at this time is having discussions with the Norwegians, um, Walther supports this. Walther is on board with this. I, I don't know if he got this separately. Um, I just, I, I don't know that the research has been done. Or is it simply a matter of, as he is working to try to pull all these groups together, he's in fellowship with the Norwegian, as they come up with this, he says, yeah, that sounds good. But Walter was fully on board with it. Um, and so you see things like his sermon of 1846 called Christ's Resurrection, the world's absolution. So, you know, um, we're, we're going to see with, uh, with church and ministry, where we had Stefan and all this, and Walter, you know, does his best, but comes up with something that's not quite, you know, uh, uh, the way it should be. And, and people like Grabau and Leia and some of these others go, listen, that's not the way we've taught it before. Um, they're always trying to, you know, pull it back. It's another one of those things where someone came up with something and, well, it was brought in. Um, we kind of go, yeah, that's not the way it's, it's, it, it was taught before. But uh, uh, nevertheless came in. We're going to see another example, not quite as serious, with something called the predestination controversy. So, all right, so you've got uh, groups talking, starting to come together. You also have controversies. Some of these controversies have to do with um, nationalities had different ways of dealing with things. Um, may not be right or wrong, you know, but, you know, the, the, the Norwegians um, eat lutefisk. Germans, sauerkraut. I know those just don't go together. Um, theologically, they publish different things. Well, not necessarily wrong, it's just some different... Uh, um, and they needed to talk about, how is that? Some had a higher church worship, some had a lower church worship. Um, that's not you know, a problem with fellowship. So they're kind of working some of those out. The General Senate. We've talked about the General Senate before. It pretty well had a whole bunch of Lutherans on the East Coast together. By the time that the immigrate, immigration groups came over and the Western Senate, they all looked back at the General Senate and said, yeah, they're Lutheran in name only. Um, they all considered them kind of pseudo-Lutheran. Um, and we know how they formed. We know what you know, kind of was going on. Um, Pennsylvania Ministerium was originally a member. It withdrew from them. And then uh, uh, later when they... Uh, added the Augsburg Confession to their uh, subscription. They rejoined in 1853. Then, at one point, as the General Senate is trying to pull all these together, uh, they brought in the Frankian Senate, which was thoroughly pietistic, um, and 
that kind of was the downfall of the General Senate. Pennsylvania Ministerium withdrew in 1866. What the General Senate was, uh, um, they were trying to work with them. Um, they had added, they, they had gotten more conservative than they were before. They had added the Osborne Confession, but the reality was, is it was still liberal as could be. And so at this point, that was the impetus uh, of forming the General Council. The Civil War uh, was uh, completing, um, had a little more time to, to deal with theological things. The conservative groups pulled out of the General Senate and said, that's enough. You know, we're trying to move forward with this. Some of you are not coming along. By 1860, uh, two-thirds of the Lutherans uh, had uh, belonged to a more conservative uh, general council. Um, in 1863, the United Senate of the South uh, broke off from the General Senate. Um, this was uh, pretty well along the Mason-Dixon line. Theologically, they were the same. Obviously, slavery and some uh, uh, more political kind of things have, uh, affected that. In 1866, uh, there was a convention. Uh, this is the first one that Missouri comes uh, to uh, in order to take a look at the general council. Despite the general council pulling out, the members pulling out of the general senate, forming the general council, becoming let's even say twice as conservative as the general said, Missouri looked at them and said, mm, we're still not convinced um, that, that you are holding to the doctrine and the practice. And so they did not join. Um, it was represented by 13 conservative uh, uh, senates. And um, uh, Missouri, uh, I've already mentioned, Ohio was very conservative. Uh, Iowa, too, was coming along. This is one of the Scandinavian, Norwegian, Danish groups. They weren't quite convinced, again, of the Lutheran uh, doctrinal stance of them. They had it on paper, but they weren't quite there. So they said, we're going to ask you some questions. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the broad overview. This, this takes years and, and whatever. But uh, <laughs> Iowa and Ohio requested, well, if you're talking to us, you're wanting to do, give us a position. What is your position regarding the four questions? Now, I've, I've mentioned this just in passing before, not very in-depth, but saying, okay, we see some practical problems going on. Um, what are our four questions dealing with? The first one is Kellyism. Kiliism is, what is Kiliism? Oh, that's it, you know. Uh, it's millennialism. Yeah, okay, Pastor, I'm still lost. What, what, what is this all about? Um, this is the teaching that there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ. He will come back. He'll reign on the earth for a thousand years before the world is over. A physical thousand-year reign. We do not believe that. Um, uh, we believe that when Christ comes back, that will be the end. Do, do the scriptures talk about a millennium, a thousand year reign? Yes, it's a figurative, meaning completeness and wholeness. From the point that Christ 
rose and ascended up into heaven and established his church, for the last 2,000 years, we've been living in the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. So it is a Revelation is a symbolic book. It's teaching us. So 10 times 10, 10 is perfection, 10 times 10 is 10 is, you know, this kind of idea, thousand-year reign. All right, so um, the first question was, uh, we hear you guys are teaching a, a, a you know, thousand-year reign here on earth, physical, you know. Let, tell us about that. The other one is, what about altar fellowship? What about um, sharing communion with other groups? Do you allow your members to commune at other altars where they don't believe and teach the same things that we do? We would call that open communion kind of thing. What about pulpit fellowship? Are you allowing uh, those who do not hold to the Lutheran confessions, those who are not with us, to preach in your altars? Are you preaching your pulpits, or are you going into their pulpits? So, altar and pulpit fellowship often go together. The last one was, what about secret societies, unchurchly societies? We're concerned about lodge membership. Um, what's the problem? Well, two things with that. One thing is, uh, the, uh, the Lutheran Church has always rejected lodge membership because, one, not that if, if, if there is a, a civic organization, if there is a Lions Club or an Optimist Club where you simply join together to do good things for the community, great, we have no trouble. The problem is, is when you begin to have this kind of pseudo-religious thing in which you talk about receiving eternal life, you talk about good works getting you to heaven, and so the Lodge teaches this, and they teach that by your good works you are saved. good example of this is if you've been to a uh, funeral for a Lodge member, um, and, and they're kind of following the ceremonies of that, they will be in the casket and they will have a white apron put over whatever clothes they're wearing. Um, that is a symbol that by their service, they have made themselves pure, their white service, and therefore they will be received into heaven for their good works. Or you go to a lodge kind of thing and they have their ceremonies, they will have a, a, a Bible, a a Jewish Old Testament, and they will have a Christian Bible, all three set out on the altar. You can worship God any way you want. We all believe in the same God. Lutheran said, yeah, we're not doing that. So they wanted to know, tell me about this. Okay? Um, interesting, I say Iowa and Ohio asked about it. Iowa just asked about three questions, because... Well, they were already dealing with millennialism themselves, and they weren't quite, yeah. Um, now, this is, look at this, this is 1860s or something like that. Um, I can tell you that uh, I, don't, I don't know about millennialism as being an, an, an issue, but, you know, altar and pulpit fellowship, we still struggle with that today. Lodge membership, we still struggle with these questions today. Um, Lutheran churches that allow this, or officially allow this, or, or, or whatever. You know, when I was at seminary, I was warned, be careful you don't step on this live wire. 
there will be those in your church that have mm-hmm. lodge membership. You know. Um, anyway, uh, they asked this question. In 1868, uh, the general council responded with something called fundamental principles. Um, Pretty well, Missouri, Ohio, Iowa said, yeah, that's not good enough. Um, Their answers in response to that wasn't uh, uh, correct. However, even going down, okay, so Wisconsin ended up withdrawing in 1969, Illinois withdrew in 1870, Minnesota in 1871. The general council uh, um, again, we have kind of the conservatives uh, uh, come and form it, but it didn't take long before they started pulling out. And so it didn't hold together. However, by 1872, they had actually moved forward. I mean, I talked to you about the Akron rule later. It's called the Galesburg rule in 1875, where they came out and said Lutheran pulpits are for Lutheran ministers only. Lutheran altars are for Lutheran communicants only. That was a major step forward. And and again, yes, I I know what the scriptures say, I know it, but if you look at, in practice and in life, you have to support someone who's trying to move, you know, I know where they used to be. Um, You know, there there used to be anxious benches and crazy stuff. Look where they got to. Um, Although the Krauss rule permitted exception, it was nonetheless a strong repudiation of the broad ecumenical relationships what had happened with the General Senate. But everyone else had moved much further. And so they kept getting closer to what we would say uh, uh, the, the Lutheran teaching is as found in, in the Book of Concord. As things moved forward, and as there were Senates that were now holding to the truth and officially and in their practice. Instead of just having three conferences, there were now colloquies and conferences but official between synods, and Missouri got involved in a lot of these. And so I simply list some of these, whether it was especially with the Norwegian Senate, which, which was big, Buffalo, Iowa, Ohio, Illinois, Minnesota, and adjacent states, uh, Wisconsin Senate, um, uh, interesting Wisconsin Senate, um, because this is one that, that you know, we're somewhat familiar with, or, or at least as it's gone. Interesting Wisconsin Senate has come a long way. Wisconsin, despite today being considered, oh yes, they're really considered, um, Wisconsin Senate was, uh, at the time, uh, they formed their Senate in Wisconsin when there already was confessional conservative groups there, and they intentionally formed separate from them because they didn't want to be like them. So they, they were intentionally liberal in their in their founding. Um, Muehlhausen is, is one of their first presidents. As it moved on, and they had more conversations, and they had a couple more uh, conservative seminary presidents, at first, they were not very friendly with Missouri and with the other, and, and yet they moved on and, and ended up being one of the more conservative, which is kind of surprising in in, uh, in that. Okay, comments, questions about uh, general council, some of those formation stuff. I'm kind of struck by Walter, you know, writing, you know, 
you know, law and gospel, which is excellent, that's really well written, those are stuff, could still keep falling off the rails. Not like all the way off the railroad track and down the gully, but still just snuff off the rails. The, the effect is long, the, the effect there is long term. It is. Um, I don't think that there is, uh, um, from my opinion, I don't think that there is one fatal problem where I would say, oh, this is the thing. I'm just going to say, um, like every one of us, you know, you try to get everything right, and sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to say with, uh, with Stefan going away, he was in a tough position. His decision was made simply based upon trying to hold this group together, and, well, you know, he ended up adopting this kind of uh, uh, lay-led... Yeah, you feel some sympathy for his position there. With this, I'm not so sure, you know? So, with, yeah, so, with the absolution controversy, you know, what, what, what is that? Well... He's trying so hard to pull together these immigrant groups, and the Norwegians are supporting him and are with him. And and I don't know that I, I don't know that he said, "Oh, that's wrong," but I'm just going to bite my tongue. I think he heard this and went, "Well, that sounds good to me." And and so you know he he went with it. Now you know I I don't think it's it's you know I again I don't see a fatal flaw. But I do see that that wasn't the way we normally speak. I think we're going to get to one more thing with predestinarian controversy. But I would also say, you know what? Um, if if I didn't have, um, if I wasn't brought up in a church, there's a lot of things I wouldn't know. And if I wasn't, uh, uh, if I didn't have theologians like Luther and Chemnitz and Gerhard and Walt. I mean, just, you know, I, I would probably, you know, that, I can stand on giants. That yeah. I, and I'm going to say, I wonder just how isolated Walter was in America. Again, when they came over, that yeah. was the problem. They probably didn't have that big a library to work with. Just, you know, I, I don't want to push that too far, but my point is simply... You know what? Sometimes you have to look at your parents, fathers in the faith, and you have to go, thank you for what you gave me. You know, I'm sorry to say a couple of these things you got wrong. Um, you know, I, I'm sure they're going to look back. In, I, I, and they won't look back at mine. But, you know, you'll look back and kind of go, yeah, it's been pretty good. Uh, you know, you didn't quite get that right. Okay. If I knew it, I'll, I'll change it. So, Mary? I just wanted to say to Mark that for what it's worth, Walt is not here to ask, but he didn't agree that uh, uh, Walter supported that, and I don't know what he was basing that on. So um, he maybe the things that you have said about pressure are, but that doesn't sound like Walt to me. So 
there may be something else. So if that bothers you, yeah. it, maybe you could be comforted by the fact that it doesn't come up too often, I don't think. <laughs> no, yeah, the thing about Walter is I'm, I'm not being condemnatory of him. After all, I look in the mirror in the morning, you know. So. Plus, if you have to balance that against everything else, and we, he's not there here for us to ask him how strongly he supports that or whatever. But I just thought I would let you know that because yeah. that was a point that he made with me. And I, I wish I could remember the details. One of the things is the last time I visited Wisconsin's uh, website, I noticed that they've gone uh, gender neutral on the Bible. Mm. So yes, they have with the translation that they chose. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm yeah. not giving up my gender just in case anybody wants to. <laughs> <laughs> Alright? Anybody else agree with me? <laughs> you know, and, and again, I think we have to be uh, um, understanding. I, I, I've gone over, I've looked at Walter's library and um, he has a good number, he was a historian as well, Saprabha uh, Concordia Historical Institute. He has a good number of books that are not just from Missouri Publishing House, but were critical of, you know, and and so so he was looking at these things as well. Um, you know, each one of us has a limited number of library. We have a, you know, I mean, what are we reading? What do we hear? It does take a while for you to, you know, when you're in an organization. Everything that that organization puts out is going to be rah rah. Here we are. We're all together. It's all good, and it comes from a particular point of view. Sometimes when you step out of it, you kind of go, "Huh, I've never looked at it from that point of view." Um, it 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 takes time uh, as as well. Karn, just looking at the history of what Walter had to deal with and how he's trying to convince the people that. Yes, we are a church, and you can have us as pastors. Kind of see it as another move to say, yeah, I, I saved absolution and um, the gift that God has given to pastors to do that by going in on this. Um, you could see that being something he would do to kind of bolster <laughs> everything. Very good example is this. Um, Pretty well on the East Coast, you didn't have any of you know confession absolution going on. When CFW Walther, who is a big figure, starts Missouri Senate, their first synodical constitution says, we expect all of the congregations to practice individual confession absolution. He thought it was a big deal. And then, in his understanding too, he says, now, if, he, he says, I know some of you don't have it. He says, now, if you have the general confession in the service, well, okay, but you need to add the individual as well. And so, you know, he, he did not reject it. Um, yeah, so, okay, so that, that kind of gives us a little bit of this, they're, they're working to bring the stuff together. Um, they leave the General Senate. They form the General Council. They're trying to uh, uh, put it together, and yet the General Council, eh, um, they, they're still not together, and it's starting to fall apart as even if they got the official stance, we'll subscribe to it in our Constitution, yeah, but are you practicing logic? Are you practicing kind of the So um, they needed something else. 
The Symbolical Conference, 1872. If you are in Missouri, Wisconsin, ELS, at this point you all bow your heads. The Synodical Conference. Okay? Um, uh, maybe not, I, I, Missouri is maybe not quite that much. But all of the other conservative kind of groups, they all look back to this as this was the glory days. This is the day when all the conservatives, confessionals all got along and got together. And then you Missouri people screwed it up. <laughs> That's kind of the big picture. All right. So what about these general council ones that start pulling out? Um, in response to the definite platform and, you know, the recension of for confession, in response to the four questions, they started to form a synodical conference. At this point, the synodical conference was not to all join one church because they knew that wasn't possible. But we could have German churches and Norwegian churches and other English-speaking churches and we could be in a conference in which we do have altar and pulpit fellowship. We are all agreed. We have agreements between the two. And so this is not called a senate. It's called a conference. And all the senates can be together. But it had to be agreement in doctrine and practice. So this is quite different from you know, some of the other things that had been going on uh, earlier. It began with Ohio, which was the conservative ones on the East Coast. Illinois, Missouri, Norwegian was big. As I mentioned, Wisconsin Senate has now come far enough along that they are uh, a, a part of this. Iowa joins in 1872, takes care of their uh, uh, Um Illinois and Minnesota had withdrawn from the General Council. And this synodical conference, you know, before I kept having to put quotes around Confessional. Do they hold to the Lutheran confessions? Yeah, you know, they're more concerned. a little bit more, a little bit more. It's true. We've finally gotten to a point where, uh, um, as best that they can tell, we have the same doctrine and practice. We're, we've actually, I mean, it's taken a while since we came over here to the, you know, to North America. Um, um, I'll mention the Norwegian Senate. Technically, it's called the Norwegian Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Um, I mention that because you have the, the Norwegian ELCA, and we have all kinds. Anytime The problem is, is that there's only about four letters, E, L, C, and A. You can flip them around. You can have ALC, you can have LCA, you can have ELS, you can have... There's just too many of these acronyms that, that go with it. So sometimes, in fact, the, the craziest one, we won't get to it today, there is... The American Lutheran Church in 1930, and then the uh, uh, and then in 1960, there's the American Lutheran Church. I kid you not, the exact same name. And there's Lutheran Church of America. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about Norwegian Senate? Um, established in 1853. Uh, uh, Originally, Grundvigianism, I kind of talked about this a little bit, where the church is kind of over the scriptures. They caused a stir, but they finally kind of settled that out. They ended up joining the Synodical Conference in 1872 when it was formed. And so this is one of the Norwegian groups that is uh, was quite conservative. Uh, they had closer ties with Missouri. In fact, uh, one of the Norwegian 
professors was invited to come and have a chair at the St. Louis Seminary. And so you see this kind of trying to bring them together. Um, the Norwegian Senate, when we talk about office of the ministry, they have a high view of ministry. Uh, where did they get this? From over in the Church of Norway. This group definitely was pulling together, and you can see, you know, I mentioned the absolution controversy, but pulling together. By the time we get to 1875, things have so changed that there are pretty well only three groups now. Now, you might remember before, we had General Senate. That was pretty well, everybody was in it. Two, I don't know, maybe seven-eighths of the Lutherans were all in it. Uh, um, then the immigration came. General Council pulled out, and there were kind of two. Now General Council, you know, the conservatives pull out. Now we're left with General Senate, General Council, and Synodical Conference. Pretty well, Lutheran in name only, the liberals. General Council, those struggling to be Lutheran, have made a long, you know, much progress. Then you have the Synodical Conference that say, you know, until you do it completely, these are the conservatives, this is Missouri, Ohio, Norwegian, Wisconsin, in the Synodical Conference. There were some in the Synodical Conference that were, as I mentioned, this is Senate's um, shaking hands, but remaining in Senate's. As this happened, groups started to join. They were a Senate, and then they joined with Missouri, and sometimes they became a district <laughs> of Missouri. Uh, some of them in the conference uh, didn't like that. Uh, they were concerned about that. But uh, because of all this discussion and everything going together, uh, they were moving closer. And that was, that was a good thing. Um, there are, as I mentioned, the Norwegian coming to, to, at the seminary, uh, that definitely brought them closer together. 1878, uh, Wisconsin... Uh, reopens its own seminary in Milwaukee. It doesn't mean that everybody wanted to, quote, be that close. Um, and it's not a bad thing um, to make sure that, you know, uh, um, this kind of throwing all your eggs in one basket, you know, it might be good in case one of our senates goes crazy that the other one can, can remain and, and that will serve as a corrective and, and all. Um, Wisconsin did get its own seminary. I don't know that there's any, you know, nefarious reason for that at all, but um, later on this will allow them, uh, when they break, they already have a seminary. Um, so it just happens to be something that, that that happened. Um, I kind of anticipated, uh, you know, whenever you make plans, you always have to say, you know, if it is God's will. Um, my plan was to get to this point. I'm right at the point where I need to. And here's what I realized. As I'm going to get to the election predestinarian controversy, at this point, it's only going to take me 10 hours to explain this. <laughs> and I got 15 minutes before we're done. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to 
tell you what the controversy is, but I'm not going to plumb the depths of the doctrine. Okay? I've already done this once before. Like, I, I walked in and I said, all right, here is all the stuff we reject of pietism. And you went, oh, what's going on? I went, okay, so then I had to go back and kind of go, here's all the pietism, and here's what we reject. Because it's, you know, if I tell you that we reject it, you don't even know what... So, I'm just going to give you the history. Next time, we're going to come back, and I'm going to go through, here is what the Bible teaches about predestination and election. Here is what the living about. Here is what was brought up with the converse. So, if you... You know, just understand the history of it at this point. Next time, we'll explain a little bit more. All right. Eight, the Synodical Conference, it got off. It got off great. The conservatives and confessionals are in there, and it's a good thing. And immediately a controversy breaks out. Um, Wather and Ohio and those who are in it really, really wanted to use the Synodical Conference as the thing to take it to the next level. This was going to be the thing that was going to all, you know, bring in Lutherans and bring them to the, you know, what, what we knew from the Book of Concord. This crazy messed it up. 1868, a guy named Hoogley, June of 1868, um, at a convention, spoke about various things. As he talked about the doctrine of election, he used the phrase, intuitu fide. Fide is faith. Intuitui is in view of faith. In view of faith. Um, that can have lots of different meanings, and that's going to be the problem with this whole thing. Now, I don't know that this guy is... Uh, I mean, we can go back and we can pick out some things... Yeah, this is right, but this guy is not really important. It just kind of happened. What happened was, though, two Fritchell brothers, Gottfried and Sigmund, of the Iowa Senate were there. And at some point after that, pretty well 1871 to 1873, they start putting out all kinds of stuff, and they end up using this to describe election. And everybody notices what they're doing in Iowa because Missouri objects, and in particular CFW Wather. And uh, when in 1877 he's invited to give a uh, presentation at the Western District of the Missouri Senate. Uh, this is where Wather says, you know, no, this phrase is is not, you know, we should not use it. It is not correct. Uh, to speak of election in this way. Um, there is a professor in the Norwegian Senate uh, who uh, responds. The Norwegian Senate, in their catechism, actually makes use of this phrase to explain election. And so they speak up and say, no, no, this is right. Um, there is F. A. Schmidt of the Norwegian Senate defended Wather at first in 1878. Uh, F. A. Schmidt wanted to, and, and with every controversy, it always gets into personalities and things of this. 
it said that F.A. Schmidt wanted to take over the systematics chair that Wather had. He was retiring. Um, when the uh, when the convention picks a systematics uh, professor, they pick Franz Pieper, who is the understudy of Wather, and they overlook F.A. Schmidt. By 1880, F.A. Schmidt now is speaking against Wather, um, though formerly he had spoken for him, um, in a uh, publication called Altus and Neues, Old and New, or, um, and, and speaks about it. By 1881, Wather is delivering what's called the 13th Theses on the Doctrine of Election in Missouri up officially adopts it and says, this is our position. It's no longer now up for discussion. We're not, they, they had been having discussions back and forth with all of these things. Um, it's now lo, no longer up for uh, discussion. Therefore, I, Ohio, the other conservative, leaves the Synodical Conference, uh, followed by Iowa, followed by Buffalo, followed in 1883, even the Norwegian Senate. Now, this particular issue um, divides Norwegians. About two-thirds of them stay with Walther, a third of them go the other way. You've got about five Norwegian Senates, and it just kind of goes crazy with it. Ohio then would later establish fellowship with Iowa um, and ended up going into the ALC. Wisconsin, Minnesota as well, supports Wather, um, and, and they stay with him. Franz Pieper, the one who's the systematic chair, not only does he uh, later become the president of the seminary and the fourth president of LCMS, but he is the one who writes the uh, three-volume, actually four-volume with the index, but um, four-volume book called Christian Dogmatics, which trains the next... 100 Years of Pastors. Um, I, I mean, that was my systematic uh, book. They're still using it. That it. Well, they have started to produce a, a confessional loop. Anyway, but I'm sorry, that that's that's being used. Um, I, still. Uh, I refer to it all the time. Um, there are some things I, I don't use, but um, I refer to it all the time. Um, Peeper put it down in writing. This is the way it is. That was the election controversy. All right, here's the wildly uh, uh, oversimplified version. All right? The doctrine of election is that God chooses the saved before the creation of the world. He elects them. He chooses them. Um, It is his choosing, not just looking ahead... Foreknowledge is one thing. This is this is actually his election uh, causes our salvation. Um, we do not teach that there is any election uh, or or choosing of those who go to hell of, of damnation. We, we we don't teach that. The scriptures don't don't teach that. The argument here was this: there were some that said God chose us, elected us, in view of faith, that would be, they viewed it as looking forward and seeing that you would believe, and therefore he chose you 
uh, uh, before the creation of the world. And Walther says that's not right. There are others that have said uh, um, that in view of faith can be rightly understood. In fact, it was used by the Lutheran theologians right after the Book of Concord. In fact, some of them that, that helped to write the Book of Concord, Formula of Concord, it was used by Chemnitz, uh, Agidius Hunius, it was used by Johann Gerhard, it was used by, they used this term. They used it to, to say, the Calvinists say that God chooses some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. Double predestinated. That's what the Calvinists teach. And we say, we don't teach that. We believe that God chooses through faith in Christ. So, double predestination might as well be each one of you have a, a, a name in a bag and God arbitrarily picks out, oh, saved, oh, not saved. And, and we, we said, no, no, no. It's all through belief in Christ. All right. It's wildly over. I'm going to come back to it. We're going to explain. We're going to take a look at it. But here's the thing that's quite interesting. It was, it was originally used to say, we're not Calvinist. When Walther says, I don't want to use that phrase, that's why Iowa and all of Ohio and those accuse Walther of Calvinism. And so the argument goes crazy. Um, that's what we have. To finish out my... Uh, there's another group. Uh, the United Senate of the South includes the Tennessee Senate. Uh, they are at the same time on the East Coast. They have the entire Book of Concord. Um, really good things. A set of that. Uh, Missouri, as they're trying to figure things out, um, there was an English, uh, uh, those in Missouri that said, hey, uh, we all speak German, but you know, English is kind of the language here. Maybe we ought to have an English mission district, and that district can speak English. And uh, Missouri said, absolutely not. We'll have no English-speaking district. <laughs> you know, because when you speak English, you start uh, uh, having goofy theology. <laughs> and looking at the East Coast, that's something to say about that. What's interesting is that, so, in 1890, since Missouri said no, they went ahead and formed their own Senate. And they had the English Senate. In 1911... <laughs> The English Senate became the English District of Missouri, and they welcomed them in. So uh, uh, it took a little time for them to warm up to it, but uh, now they have a non-geographic English district. Now yeah. they won't allow German in some places. And now, yeah, now we're the other way. Um, uh, the Norwegian-Danish Senate, um, it was originally formed as a middle group. Um, later, as it moves forward, you know, it subscribes to the whole Book of Concord. Um, in, by 1890... Uh, they had formed the United Norwegian Lutheran Church um, uh, with the conference. Um, interesting, there's actually a synod called the Anti-Missourian Brotherhood. <laughs> yeah, that's your whole, you know, your whole point of being is we are not them. Um, uh, and, and, and come together. Um, Wisconsin, 
uh, ends up uh, bringing together Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, even Nebraska. Uh, later, there were some other free conferences. Walther was able to be at the first two of these and not at the third one. Um, it did help with things, but um, it didn't do anything like it did before. It was just discussion, and nothing went forward uh, with it. Uh, we talked about the Tennessee Senate before, uh, uh, doing real good things. I'm going to come back to this. In 1912, the Norwegians at Madison had an agreement in which they said, we really, as Norwegians, we were all divided on this, we really need to talk about this. And so they talked about uh, predestination and election, and they ended up producing a document in which they said, oh, yes, we agree with both. <laughs> now, that's going to sound crazy. But when we come back to it, it's not going to sound that crazy. In fact, maybe they're right. Um, uh, Franz Pieper does issue a plea for unity among Lutherans concerning the doctrines of conversion and election in 1913 after the Madison Agreement has come out. We're going to take a look and see what, what he had to say about it. And last of all, we've now gotten to 1917, and, and in the next, after we get done taking a look at election next time, uh, we're going to see that with 1917 and with uh, 1918 and kind of moving forward through about 1930, uh, once again, another anniversary of the Augsburg Confession, the 95 Theses, and one of the things, is going to stir Lutherans up to do great things. And so we're going to see uh, a whole bunch of changes uh, that happen and, and uh, congregations coming together. We're also going to see the Synodical Conference is dead in the water. Um, the, you know, all of the stuff that went before, from the election controversy to everybody finally leaving, there's just not much left. And, and so they're going to leave that behind. All right. Quite a bit of history pushing forward. We'll come back to um, uh, this next time. And there's pretty well only one more um, large sweep maybe two more large sweeps of, of, of history to get to the present. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you have promised that you would always work through your word, uh, that your church would not uh, be overcome even by the, uh, the gates of hell. And so we ask, dear Lord, uh, that your word might have free course in our churches, that where we have fallen short, that we might be corrected, and that humbly we might continue to hold to your true teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.